Thank you for listening to the Maranatha Free Lutheran Church Sermon Archive. It's our hope that this message would encourage you in your faith and would help you to get to know God's love, grace, and mercy in a personal way. If you have any questions on the sermon or would like to know more about Maranatha, please visit us on the web at maranathafreelutheran.com or call our church office at 218-498-2808. Thank you, and may God bless. Stand in reverence to God's word as we read from First Timothy chapter one. <clears throat> Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our, our hope, to Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may. Charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine or to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons by swerving from these have wandered away into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. I'm not sure if I'm keeping up. Will you move it ahead for me? Okay, thank you. Um, <clears throat> now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Understand this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, and, and for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God, which I have been entrusted. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service, though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord Jesus overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who believe in him for eternal life. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever, amen. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Let us pray. Lord God, I thank you for this, your word that, that Paul wrote to Timothy. Uh, I pray that as we meditate on it uh, today and in the weeks ahead, Lord, that you teach us about uh, what you want in the congregation and uh, what we are really all about here. Uh, we ask your blessing uh, on each one and that you speak to each of our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. So the first couple of verses here in chapter one are really introductory greetings. And uh, 
they spell out then who is writing this letter and who it's to. Um, but before I explain that, there's something else I, I notice that becomes significant as we delve into this letter. And, and you might have noticed it too, uh, as it came up uh, three times in this chapter that I read. And, and it's going to come up several more times in the book. Uh, it's also in the title of my sermon there today. And, and that is this word, charge. And, and uh, he says there, I charge you. Um, if you look at verse uh, 3 and 5 and 18, that, that word comes up repeatedly. Well, what does it mean to charge someone? It is to authoritatively expect something of them. If you charge someone financially, for instance, uh, you expect them to eventually pay you a set amount. But, but this charge that Paul speaks of here doesn't focus on finances. The, the root word here is actually a, a military term meaning to give strict orders. Uh, and it emphasizes then that, that this commanding is to be done authoritatively. Now, my sons in the military understand what that's all about. Uh, military orders aren't to be questioned, but to be passed on to whomever it concerns. And so it is. Let's look then at the one who is making the charge. He identifies himself in verse 1. Um, he is Paul. He's an apostle of Jesus Christ, um, and an apostle means sent one. And, and Paul was given then his marching orders, his commands from one who is above him, from Jesus Christ, whom he then identifies as God, our Savior. And Paul was used by God to travel as a missionary and, and to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ to several cities in uh, what we know now as present-day Turkey and Greece and Italy. And after that then, he, he traveled back to some of those fledgling congregations to encourage them in the faith and, and to help them establish some leadership structure. And, and so we are told then that, he, that uh, he left someone else behind then in one of those cities, in Ephesus, to accomplish those things in his stead. And, and what gives an even greater urgency really to Paul's charge here is... Um, to this individual is that Paul expects that he himself is nearing the end of his life. And, and so he doesn't know if he'll have a whole lot more opportunity to see these things accomplished. And so he expresses urgency here. Well, who is the one that he's leaving in charge? He, he says in verse 2, to Timothy, my true child in the faith. Now, Timothy was just was a young pastor. Um, He'd been brought to personal faith really through the uh, influence of his godly mother and grandmother and also through Paul himself. And, and Timothy was inexperienced really in leadership. And, and you might say he was temperamentally shy or timid and, and maybe even also physically frail. And, and so Paul greets him here in verse 2 with three powerful words. He says, grace, mercy, and peace to you. Now grace, that's... God's goodness or kindness to undeserving sinners. Mercy is God withholding of his wrath that is deserved by all sinners. And peace is God's reconciliation then of those who were formerly alienated from him back into fellowship with him. And so you see, if we know Jesus Christ as our Savior, then God's grace and his mercy and his peace are ours as well. And that ought to then give us a confidence to live out our lives boldly for him. And what Paul goes on to say then to timid Timothy here in this letter is urgent for Timothy to grasp and to then pass on to others. But you know what, what is, what's in this letter 
goes way beyond just Timothy and the situation there at Ephesus at the time. The reason that we study it is because it's urgent for all pastors to take heed of these words. Every pastor in a Christian church anywhere ought to have two dominant concerns. First one is this, correct teaching. Paul's charge to Timothy is to stay in Ephesus and to tell certain persons there to quit teaching things that were contrary to what he had taught them earlier. And he says there in verse 3, to remain in Ephesus and that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. Timothy was to be then a garter of correct doctrine. Sound doctrine mattered then, and it still matters now. Verse 3 and verse 11 here, you see it's pointing out there is such a thing as objective truth. But you know, in our day and age, it seems like um, it's like it's described in Isaiah chapter 59 where, where he says, truth has fallen in the streets. However, even though the pluralistic society that we live in would like to think that there are many ways to God, that's not the truth. Even though our postmodern age would like to consider the Ten Commandments to be outdated and, and think that we've evolved beyond such restrictive norms. If we listen to what the Apostle Paul says, then, then we, we come to believe that there is a norm of doctrine which God has revealed which cannot be compromised. It's what the apostles handed down all the way to us. And in this letter then to Timothy, it's sometimes called the faith or, or the truth or the teaching, the good deposit. And you see these false teachers at Ephesus had deviated from that. And, and somebody then needed to step in and to point the congregation back to the truth. And that's really one of the roles of a pastor. It's to teach sound doctrine and to make sure that things that are not taught which are contrary to the truth of God's word. The other concern that a pastor, uh, for a pastor that uh, Paul mentions here is love of God and then love of the people that are entrusted into their care. And he says in verse 5 here, the aim of our charge is love. Love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. What's the reason that we are to insist on correct doctrine and to speak out against persons teaching inaccurately? It's that truth matters. And eternal destinies of those who listen to teachers are at stake. And so a preacher that is standing for the truth uh, does so out of a heart that has found personal forgiveness of sin in Jesus Christ and a heart that has a concern that others would find that too. And those who stand for the truth then have a good conscience and, and a sincere faith. And they are not in it for personal gain, but, but out of love for the eternal souls of their hearers. But you know, that is not necessarily the case for all who would desire to be teachers in the Christian church. And Paul is pointing that out to Timothy here. And he reminds him that there are certain persons who, by swerving from those things, that is, they, they have swerved away from pure motives, they, they no longer have a good conscience and a sincere faith, they're instead elevating themselves um, for their own selfish gain. And, and he says about them, they have wandered away. That is, they're, they're like cattle that left the pasture. They're no longer where they belong. They wandered away into vain discussions. Verse 7 says, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they're saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. 
Now, have you ever known people like that? They don't really know what they're talking about, but they think they do. And they make very confident assertions. Well, Paul is charging Timothy here to put things in order and to boldly insist that these persons quit teaching a different doctrine than the fundamental truths of the Christian faith. And Paul goes on then to explain some things about teaching the truth, about teaching, or about those that are teaching a different doctrine. And it comes down to this. There are right and wrong uses of the Old Testament law. There's, there's wrong use of the law, which is really majoring in sideline issues. You see, it's possible to read the Old Testament and um, the books of the law and, and to miss the main point of it all. To, to miss that it's pointing out the fallen condition of mankind and, and mankind's need for, for God to then send a savior from sin and how then he had a plan to do that. And, and Paul says that some persons have wandered into vain discussions. Well, what were those discussions about? You look at verse 4 here. They devote themselves to myths and, and endless genealogies. It, it seems that there were some persons that, that came up with, you might say, legendary stories about some of the Old Testament characters. Um, embellishments beyond what the scripture records. And for instance, there's uh, one Jewish source that has been found called the Book of Jubilee. And it supplies us then with the names of all of the children of Adam and Eve and of Enoch's family and all of Noah's predecessors and descendants. And also all of the 70 people who went down to Egypt with Jacob and his sons in the time of great famine. And so these teachers were claiming that they knew inside details about those type of things. And really, they were a bit like modern day novels about biblical characters. They might be interesting perhaps, but not to be trusted because they're really embellishments going beyond what scripture tells us. And Paul says here, these myths really just promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. And Paul tells Timothy then to charge these false teachers not to devote themselves to those things that are really sideline discussions that are distracting from what needs to be the central focus of the Christian church. The other wrong use of the law that comes up actually is, is later in this uh, letter. In chapter 4, it comes up. Uh, there it spells out that there were some who were forbidding people to marry and who were directing abstinence from certain foods. Like the Pharisees of Jesus' day, they were adding all kinds of restrictions and laws beyond what God's word said. And what Paul says here about those false teachers then is that their vain discussions about side issues and their forbidding the unforbidden really just promotes speculation and controversy rather than harmony. And it doesn't advance the gospel mission that should be the primary focus of the church. I like what John Stott says, summing this up. He says, the ultimate criteria by which to judge any teaching are whether it promotes the glory of God and the good of the church. Well, let's talk about right use of the law as well. Martin Luther described three functions of the law in Scripture. Um, civil use, theological use, and, and a practical uh, life guide. And let's just walk through them. First of all, Civil use. Uh, you might describe that as like a bridle to restrain the uncivilized. 
Just like a bridle is put on a horse to, to help keep it under control, restrain it. Uh, so society in general needs laws to restrain people from just doing whatever they feel like. A second use of the law is, is like a hammer to crush sinners, reveal our self-righteousness, and, and drive us in to see our need for Christ. We, we all need to be hit hard with the seriousness of our sin against God and its consequences. And the wrath of God that we all justly then would deserve that would condemn us to hell itself. We need to be hit hard with that so that we will then recognize how helpless and hopeless we are without the gospel. And then we are ready to receive the gracious gift of forgiveness that's offered in Jesus Christ. And the third use of the law is, is like a guide to teach us and encourage believers in, in, in right living. In this way, the law is like a roadmap or, or GPS, uh, helping Christians find our way in life so we don't end up taking wrong roads that lead to unnecessary dangers or permanently off the track. Well, it's interesting historically that, you know, when that I told you about Martin Luther and him um, describing the functions of the law in these three ways. Well, when John Calvin came along a little further as a reformer, he agreed with Luther uh, on these three uses of the law though he decided he should change the order of them, or the numbering of them, um, and priority of them. He, he didn't think Luther emphasized the third use enough. And so Calvin, you see, saw the law as the best instrument both to teach believers the Lord's will and also to urge them to do so, whereas Luther saw the gospel as the primary motivator in the Christian life. And that's why even today you might observe this, uh, Different emphasis in a Lutheran church, perhaps, versus in, in many Baptist churches or others. Where, um, and the different emphasis is in how they see uh, the law and the gospel. Well, let's go back to our text here in 1 Timothy 1. So what was the law laid down for? Who was it laid down for? Um, first, it tells us who it's not for. Verse 8, here we know the law is good if, if one uses it lawfully. Verse 9, understanding this, that the law was not laid down for the just. So you see, it's this way. If, if you're already perfect, you don't need the law. Just sit back and admire yourself and, and, and recognize how you're better than everybody else. Uh, and, and you're going to get to heaven on your good works. Well, congratulations to none of you on that one. Because Romans 3 tells us that all of us have sinned and we've fallen short of the glory of God. And so the law is good for pointing that out. And what we have then in verses 8 to 10 here is a list of lawbreakers. And so he mentions the law is for the lawless and disobedient and ungodly and sinners, unholy and profane. And then he describes it, those who strike their fathers and mothers for murderers, the sexually immoral, people who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, and perjurers. Now, I don't know if you noticed this here, but when you go through that list, you could about line it up with the Ten Commandments. Those who worship other things other than the true God, that's, that's number one. Those who profane his name. Those who disregard his holy day. Those who don't honor the parents. and Those who murder people and commit adultery and lie and steal and covet other people's stuff. The law was given for them so that they would see their sinful heart condition and they would cry out to God for mercy and find relief in the gospel of forgiveness in Jesus Christ, who took on himself the punishment that we deserved on the cross. 
Well, after Paul reminded Timothy and us then of the wrong use and the right use of the law, then he, then he also, as we look on here, he applies it to himself. Paul, the worst of the lawbreakers, received mercy. He says in verse 13, Formerly I was a blasphemer, I was a persecutor and an insolent opponent. Now the translation says, I was a violent aggressor against all who followed Jesus Christ. But I received mercy because I acted in unbelief. And isn't this an amazing thing about God? He offers mercy even to the worst of sinners. Now why? Paul says here, because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And I, and I think this is true of many of those around us that we see as well. We might get frustrated with their lifestyle and think, what are they thinking of? And so on. But they are ignorant. And they need then to be educated. They need to hear the word of God. They need to hear the law that shows them that they've sinned against their creator who is holy and almighty God. And they will face consequences for that. They need to hear that. And they need to hear the gospel that there's... It offers forgiveness um, and, and uh, offers a clean conscience as a result and, and eternal life. You see, if there was hope for Paul, then there's hope for all. And don't ever forget that. Paul says here about that in verse 14, that the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy, it deserves full acceptance that Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom I'm the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me, as a foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience and example to all who believe for eternal life. And so the law was laid down for all lawbreakers, including Paul, and also then for Timothy, and for you, and for me to show all of us our sin and our need for Jesus Christ, and also then to guide us in living out the Christian life. And like Timothy, we who are pastors, and really all Christians, have been given then this charge to keep. Verse 18, he says, This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, that you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. You see, the law helps us to keep a good conscience as it drives us to live then in daily repentance of sin and to then hold on to our faith in Jesus Christ. And if we quit listening to the law and quit listening to our conscience, then we risk falling away from the faith. And Paul points out that that has happened to some here. Uh, their, their faith has been shipwrecked, he mentions. You see, there is this spiritual battle that is going on all around us and it's going on in our own hearts as well. And the devil would like to draw us away. He'd like to distract us, uh, get us to wander away from our faith in Jesus, get us to harden our hearts against our conscience so that we no longer then live in daily repentance and faith. He, he wants to get us to compromise and, and to change our teaching and, and make it more palatable to the world. But we have been entrusted with a charge from God himself, his word, the law and the gospel. May, be, may we be faithful in that keeping that charge that he has given us. Let us pray. Oh Lord God, we thank you for your word from Paul to Timothy and to us. The reminder here, Lord, that you have given us your word and your law for a purpose, that it would show us our sin and our need for a Savior, that it would guide us in life, 
And Lord, we pray that you would help us, that we would live daily then um, listening to your word, responding to our conscience that is shaped by your word, and that we live in daily repentance and faith. Lord, I pray if there be somebody here today who does not know a personal relationship with you, Lord, I pray that even today, this reminder from the law would, would convict them that they too are sinners in need, in desperate need uh, of a Savior, and that they'd humble themselves and admit their sin, but they'd also hear the gospel, the, the great news, that there's forgiveness for all, even for the worst of sinners, just as Paul found that is true for each one. And, and so Lord, we just rejoice in that. And Lord, as we come to the end of our service today and have the opportunity to partake of communion, um, it is a reminder uh, of what you did for us on the cross and how there is full forgiveness for all who will trust in Jesus. Uh, we pray in his name. Amen.